Hey everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of My First Sketch. I'm Josh Hyam. If you're listening for the first time, welcome. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, get it automatically. Stitcher, if you like Stitcher. Uh, it'd be really cool if you rate it five stars and leave a review wherever you get a podcast. You can like the podcast on Facebook, facebook.com slash myfirstsketch. The Twitter account, which is, I'm going to admit, a little neglected, myfirstsketch. Head to myfirstsketch.com where I'll post any of the videos or information or other stuff that we talk about in today's episode, plus more information on Sketchybait or other things that we're doing. Any questions, thoughts, recommendations, feel free to email me at josh at myfirstsketch.com and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. I've been having a lot of fun hosting our online sketch comedy incubator on Zoom. Sketchybater, as we call it, has brought comedians from all over together to share some new work and some old work. We have friends from San Francisco, Edmonton, Toronto, Atlanta, North Carolina, Washington, D.C., and of course, Philadelphia. The last Sketchybater even had an appearance by the Flat Earth, which was a really fun surprise for me. I don't think they performed together since Philly Sketchfest 2019. The next Sketchybater will take place Friday, June 26th, 10 p.m. Eastern. You can find out more information at myfirstsketch.com and phillysketchfest.com. Uh, Before we get into today's episode, here's a word from our friends from Bad Medicine. Are you a fan of sketch comedy like Monty Python, Key and Peele, and Saturday Night Live? Have you ever wondered why their sketches are funny? Or maybe why that certain sketch didn't make you laugh? On the comedy podcast Sketch Nerds, we aim to answer those questions while having fun talking about the history and craft of sketch comedy. Every episode features a guest to help us break down our favorite sketches, as well as those submitted by listeners like you. So come nerd out with us and listen to Sketch Nerds at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds. Today's guest is Dylan Sharp, currently a member of Dang Dumb out of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Dylan's first sketch is called Edmonton 2049, a look at the city of Edmonton in the future. Dylan and I play passengers on the LRT having a conversation. Dylan also voices LRT's overhead announcements, and I'll give you whatever other visual information you need to know. So let's go to the sketch. Now arriving at the ice district. Connor enters and stands up next to Dana on the LRT. How's the progress on the ice district? Well, it is it is winter, so not a whole lot of development. <laughs> it happens every winter. Well, they got the roads done, but they forgot to remove the construction barriers. Really? That's fantastic. Now entering the fire district. Connor looks down at the paper. Uh, so the Oilers lost again, hey? Yeah, this time to Edmonton Prospects? Wow, did they just convert the uh, from baseball to hockey two seasons ago? Oh, yeah, and they lost the Eskimos last week, too. Well, at least we'll get a first-round pick. Yeah, for the for the new record of 10 in a row. They should fire the coach. They did that last month. Fire the GM, then. At the beginning of the season. The captain? Well, Connor is getting old. Not a bad idea for him to call it a career. You know I was named after him, eh? They were expecting huge things from him. You're telling me. I remember the day he got drafted. I bet it was fantastic. It was. Now entering McDavid District. 
The two characters look at each other and roll their eyes. Wow, I could go for a Don Air right now. <laughs> uh, Queens would be amazing right now. Queens downtown or on 156th Street? Downtown for sure. I'm a huge fan of Mike's. Mike's Famous Don't Air or just Mike's Don't Air? Mike's Famous. Next up, Wem District. Another layer on the Talus Balls. This mayor sure stuck to his platform of expanding Edmonton up and not out. Uh, yeah, totally. I'd imagine they would fix other things first, but be- before improving art installations around here. Connor rubs his wrist in pain from hitting it. Didn't they just add another giant player to the baseball bat on 118th Avenue? Uh, they have a full team now. Oh, good for us. We can keep a statue team, but we can't keep a real baseball team here. Hey, the Edmonton Pigs are here to stay. I'm telling you. Uh, young man, you have so much to learn. We used to have a AAA baseball team here called the Edmonton Trappers. Then they moved them. After that, it was the Edmonton Cracker Cacks. What a name. Oh, yeah. Then the Capitals. Then the Prospects. Then I stopped giving a damn about the teams. Sorry, young man. Yeah, and another beach. This one is called uh, Good Spot Beach. It's in Harlock. Oh, my God. Another beach. I remember when they didn't have to make a beach in the River Valley. It just appeared spontaneously. Yeah, Accidental Beach was one of the first beaches here. It was that Accidental Beach 2.0. Uh, it was that, then Accidental Beach 2.0, Kate's Beach, uh, Kate's Sun's Beach, and then finally Good Spot Beach. I would imagine they would fix the transit system before adding art and beaches throughout the city. Well, at least it's nice uh, that I didn't have to pay to get onto the bus. Same here. Do you do you even still have the chip in your arm? No, I took it out probably last year because metal detectors were becoming a pain in the ass. Metal detectors? I work at Roger's place, and to be honest, the metal detectors have become useless since the technology was added into our bodies. So they've just been going off and off and off. So we pulled the sound, and now the machines are just there for show. How about in airports and courthouses? Oh, yeah, they've been useless for a while. Airports just focus on the random selection. Connor is shocked and distraught. Wait, how would you know that? I read it in head somewhere. <laughs> of course you did. I read it in head. Uh, everyone now nowadays believes everything they read in head. In head is full of fake information, and sometimes you can't believe everything you read. Whoa, calm down. I did not think you would get so worked up on in head like that. Connor rolls his eyes. You know, I was the exact same way when I was your age. One time I got fooled by the news that they were going to put a giant Wolverine statue like from the X-Men in the Ice District. But you got fooled again from in head and the news. You're just gullible. I got to go. I got to get going. This is my stop. Connor gets up and leaves the bus. Justin looks across to the couple. When do you think it would have been a good time to say that he was Connor McDavid? Hey, Dylan. Hey. All right. Uh, So tell me about Edmonton in the future. Tell me about this sketch that makes no sense to me because i have no clue what you're talking about yeah so uh this is uh this is yeah this is called uh Eminem 2049 and then uh it's moved into calling itself in head um it 
is a sketch about what Edmonton is going to be like in, in 50 years and how the problems that Edmontonians face uh, in uh, today's time still go on uh, in 50 years, just like you would imagine a lot of cities, a lot of people have some problems with and, and uh, tend to not get fixed. So, uh, or it takes a very long time to kind of get it done. So uh, mm-hmm. this sketch uh, is my first time ever writing pen to paper and uh, it shows. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's good to know that. Uh, well, I mean, for someone that wants to be like, consider himself in the arts yeah. and that other, it's good to know that other cities are battling about like arts funding and art installations and paying for those. Cause I remember Chicago put out like this giant, um, it, it, like the, the nickname for it's the bean. Yeah. I forget what, like what I forget what it's actually called. Yeah. But like when that first went down, I know Chicago, like I was in Chicago and like the comedians were all about making fun of it as if it was like the dumbest thing on earth. Totally. Totally. But, but yet you still go to Chicago and you get a picture in front of it. Yeah. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's become one of those things for sure. Yeah, totally. Right. So, uh, yeah. And isn't the bean in Chicago also located in like the financial district? Yeah. It's somewhere downtown. Yeah. It's like, it's like in the heart of like their wall street or like their financial district. So it's even funnier than the fact that this bean is, uh, <laughs> not even close to like theaters and stuff like that, but I could be wrong, but this, uh, uh, it's very, uh, it is uh, definitely like the talus balls is something that I reference in the sketch and what they are in Edmonton is just literally metal balls that are shaped kind of like a weird uh, salt pile um, uh, in the side of a very busy uh, bridge that um, is uh, connected to uh, a high that is on a highway. Right. So when you're driving past, people are looking at it and you're going into onto this bridge, it just creates, like at first, a lot of people were, I wouldn't be surprised we're getting in a lot of accidents just based off of looking at this talus balls, these weird balls on the side of the road, <laughs> metal balls. So they're just in a weird spot. Like, yeah, very weird spot. Uh, a little bit of walking path around it, but like a weird spot off the side of a very busy highway, <laughs> which is very funny. Um, so how do we get to the point of you actually writing the sketch? Like, uh, I wrote this sketch mainly because I, I, I just felt like really inspired by it. Um, just basically uh, being in, well, me and Kelly, I think a couple of other our groups have been li- uh, lived in Edmonton their whole lives, but uh, was really inspired by it. And I got a lot of inspiration by like the different bits and, you know, the Oilers and uh, which is uh, our hockey team. And then like we had a, a baseball team, like a, we, so like the different progressions on that. And I was just really inspired by it. Uh, and then I think the 2049, um, the 2049, uh, title of the sketch kind of led me down a path of more of a futuristic side of things, um, Mm -hmm. which, uh, then, uh, added like the concept of like reading things in head and, uh, everything's just already in your brain and you're just kind of, um, reading it you're just staring into space on an lrt reading things that are already in your brain because you're live feeded into like the internet and stuff so uh but it wasn't really clear in the in the wording and the progression it kind of jumps right to it so i've written this sketch in pieces and uh it's uh it shows <laughs> and, and was this ever performed no no 
this will this is never performed this is just basically uh my first crack at writing a sketch and and uh if it was if we are ever getting to the point of performing it we'd have to start from scratch and and kind of take different pieces in it and kind of go from there and definitely bump it up because it's also not even funny it's just general <laughs> it's just general conversation of just two people bickering on an lrt so it's not even funny there's no punchlines. there's no rules of three or anything like that it's literally just two people bickering on an on a lrt or train system and uh it's very funny so the fact that there's no jokes in it so yeah and like i mean you mentioned uh i think we i don't i think it was off air uh about wanting to to write something local like Yeah. Um, why, so why what why want to write something local, like you know, full of local references? It, you know, to really to highlight the Edmontonness yeah, of it. It's um, the reason why we wanted to do that uh, was to help build our Edmonton brand. Was a, a big thing. Is just like um, we we came into the scene in Edmonton uh, about three or four years ago, um, and we all became friends through improv and stuff like that. So we wanted to make a sketch that would help build our Edmonton brand where they were like, okay, who, who are these guys? Like, um, and then we can kind of show kind of the style of what we would, what we perform on stage, um, with an Edmonton centric sketch. Um, so people were like, oh yeah, I've seen those guys. They've done that. They did that train Edmonton sketch, um, at fringe this year or whatever. And, uh, that's, that's really why we wanted to make an Edmonton centric sketch. Hmm. at least first but we've awesome. we've dived into other forms of the uh Edmonton sketches and performed other ones to help build our brand that way um other members uh we have one member that's saying uh susan that's saying uh does a, a little ukulele song halfway through one of our shows um that kind of highlights different aspects of edmonton and we did a video sketch um about edmonton as well so yeah well, let's get back to the beginning then uh before we get into the creation of dang dumb and everything um when you like what were you into growing up what what like do you have an, like an earliest comedy memory let's start there uh yeah um i definitely one of my earliest comedy memories was definitely watching uh monty python the meaning of life uh when i was probably too, way too young to watch it my dad showed it to me and the holy grail and stuff like that when i was like 10 or 12 uh and then when i like later on in those years uh when i was at uh actually in uh sea isle in jersey my dad bought a box set of benny hill and uh i was watching benny hill when i was 12 years old um and that was kind of one of the first instances of kind of uh comedy uh when i was younger and really wanting to and really enjoying it and kind of seeing the how much laughter and joy it brought to people's brought to people so i wanted to kind of do that and then it, it wasn't until i kind of got older and it was in uh the tail end of my university stint that i uh joined improv and kind of went from there we need we need to talk about benny hill because yeah. like <laughs> i think i think you might be the first person that's brought him up yeah yeah I, on the podcast and i and i have very little like very little context for benny hill outside of the yakety sacks chasing women around yeah and that's like that's like yeah. my prevailing memory of him yeah so they were like just basically like very mundane things it was just like him going to a department store uh like nordstrom's or something like that and 
and uh and going in there and like trying on a hat and, and then uh doesn't have the right hat and then finally finds the right hat like in the top shelf so very like mr bean-esque as well where he has to like crawl up the and then he, the shelf falls on him and then he's ch- and then he's getting chased be- by like the security because he broke some things so and then the chasing kind of instills from there but it was also very uh uh very uh sexualized too um like the women in benny hill were often just in their lingerie running around because he accidentally pulled their clothes off or something like that which is at this at this time not really the best form of comedy as well but i just remember when i was younger just like very enthralled by this uh just like the concept of just like something happened and then a chasing instills a minute later. Right. So. Yeah. It, it, it seemed like, and I, I want to say that like my memory of Benny Hill was like, maybe like the PBS station here yeah. would play him like late night randomly. Yeah. Cause they would like for a while they had like the British sitcoms like Saturday night. And then there was a, a, a later block of like, you know, edgier yeah. British comedy yeah. or, and all I remember is just this old dude and women running around. Like yeah. that, that's, that's all I remember. Benny Hill. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And it, but it also seems so out of place. Yeah, exactly. Especially for British comedy, right. A little bit more proper and, and stuff like yeah, that. You, you would think. Yeah. Right. And don't want to be showing too much of like, uh, women running around. So like naked and stuff like that. And just the wrong, right. But I don't know why. It was just like one of those things where I was just like kind of enthralled in. It was probably also because I was 12, 13 and coming into my sexuality right. and just seeing comedy and, and uh, nakedness running and around. Pretty ladies. And pretty ladies. Like, yeah. Nakedness running around. That's one of the reasons why I liked it. But uh, yeah. And then and then also the Monty Python, like uh, meaning of life, like singing the, the all sperm is uh, sacred. Uh uh, uh, song that they do at the beginning of Minio Life, like when I was younger, uh, just like loving it, not understanding what the, what sperm is or what all this is, and it was very funny. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think I've seen Minio Life. I like it's become a recurring thing that I say that when the first time I saw Holy Grail, I didn't get it. Yeah, like I, mean, I was maybe like fifteen, sixteen, and I was just like, I this isn't, I don't what what's happening. Yeah, here? like how did why does this movie end like this? Like that's not how a movie ends. Like, yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, two years later, it finally clicked and made sense to me. And your entry point into performing comedy, like what, where did we get to that point? Yeah. So, uh, it's definitely a unique situation, actually. Kind of a very funny, uh, funny, funny story. So I, I started, uh, doing it through improv at the university of Alberta improv group. Um, that's how I kind of entered into comedy. Uh, and getting on stage and stuff like that um, was how I entered it. And how I did it was a very, very weird way. So my friend, uh, Josh, at the time, he, uh, we were just like hanging out in my kitchen, just looking at the clubs, the different clubs fairs, and like looking at the directory clubs, like maybe we join a club and kind of do a little bit more and, and just kind of really taking the university experience and stuff like that. So we're going through it, going through it. You know, you have the Tolkien Club and all this stuff. Not a lot of, and it was the very last one that showed up was uh, University Improv Group. And my buddy Josh at the time was like, "Gil, you have to do this, man. You uh, 
you love comedy, you, you love doing this, you love being a nut and you don't really care about failure. You got to just go out, go out and do it. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. I'll do it. I did a little bit in drama in, in, uh, in high school. And then a week later from that, I got in a car accident with a buddy of mine uh, and I rear ended him and it was minor damage. It was like 20, $40, like a little taillight was out. And I just paid him for it. But the guy that I hit was a guy I did drama with in high school for one year. So uh, we kind of got to talking. And then all of a sudden, a week after that, I, uh, I see him. Our first day together was uh, at improv together was that like a week later after we got in an accident. So we kind hmm. of like we got in this car accident. And then a week later, we see each other again at improv at, at our first day at this improv club and we just kind of stuck together as like buddies and partners and and just really um uh, didn't want to like we wanted to try this and we had kind of each other to kind of get us through like the you know the clickiness of you know some some clubs or some you know not ha knowing a lot of people there and and uh we and we and then been in the group for three years, four years after that. And he's now at, uh, in with rapid fire theater and in their second half. So he's doing really well after that. So that's kind of how I got into comedy really. Uh, like the idea of making a buddy or, you know, reconnecting with a buddy through a car accident. And yeah, totally. Going through this improv thing is a, it does sound fairly weird yeah, yeah very weird but like also like very spon like spontaneous and uh it was almost like it was meant to be kind of thing so um i definitely uh, once that happened we became really close friends and his name's steven and i uh, i still talk to him all the time and we hang out all the time and stuff like that so he he's a really close friend and it was it's our own little personal story we actually end up coaching the high school we did a little improv uh there's an improv class in high school and we actually uh, coached it on Fridays for two years together. Cause that's kind of how we first started hanging at us, uh, know, we knew each other. And then we kind of had a weird story that we kind of explained, showed kids our weird story ever at the first, uh, first class every year, which is very funny. So, okay. So you didn't do high school improv, but you, well, you I did, it. I did drama 10. It was just like, uh, the first, the grade 10 of, uh, of, uh, high school. So, okay. so we did that. I did it for one year and then I got it. But that, but that was straight, like just straight drama that like no real improv. No. Or... Yeah. I think we might've did because like, I... like, two weeks of improv, but not, not a whole lot. Cause I I've heard, and I'm you know fascinated by this. Like I think talking through Marvin Berry mostly was that they all did like high school improv as like a competitive. Yeah, they did. Thing. Yeah. They did C and CIG. Yeah. Is that is that what you were coaching? Uh, yeah, in high in yeah later on, like a couple of years ago, like uh, me and Stephen later on taught CIG to the high school that we went to. I I, I still I don't understand <laughs> like so competitive improv yeah. like that at all. It's just it's just so weird to me. Yeah, I suppose. yeah, no, totally. And that's like that that was a uh, I think that was also it was weird because I grew up playing like sports and was athletic and. You know, I'm the jock of in Dang Dumb, and uh, and uh, you know when it got to like the competitiveness of improv, I weirdly didn't understand it, right? Like how <laughs> like growing up competitive and playing sports and stuff like that, and then get it like understanding what CIG was later on, 
uh, was like, well, I don't get this. This why are we why are we why am I getting a score? Why am I getting judged on my improv? <laughs> right. So it was, uh, and I can see that's probably why one of the reasons why uh, I stopped and and only did drama ten and didn't really mm. want to continue into that. So, um, I so you do the, this in this university improv group. Yeah. What's your next step after that? Uh, next step after this, after that was actually doing a little bit with dynasty actually, uh, actually which is a, uh, improv company in here in the city. Um, okay. dynasty was, uh, is a little bit of, a uh, an older company in the city. Uh, a lot of their performers too, um, uh, have families and kids and stuff like that. And they are very well established and one of them. Uh, is one of the voices in Mass Effect, Mark Mir, um, who is a very well-known performer uh, throughout London and throughout the, uh, the improv community. Um, and then I started doing that uh, with a 50-hour-long uh, soap, soap opera uh, set that they do called the Soapathon. Um, and I did that after, uh, UI, UI, after the university group for a little bit, and then I moved into um, Sorry Not Sorry, which I performed with to this day, uh, which is a uh, smaller company that performs out of the Grindstone Theater here in Edmonton. Um, to, to back up a little bit, a 50, like, is that what I assume it is? It's a 50 hour, like improvised soap opera. Yeah. So it starts at, it starts at nine o'clock or seven o'clock on Friday night. And it goes straight with 15 minute breaks every two hours. Um, it goes straight through to Sunday at nine o'clock. Are like performers rotating in and out yeah, or are yeah. you like, yeah, there's guests and performers are rotating in and out, but there's majority of the main cast in dynasty, uh, which I always wanted to be a part of was, uh, is, uh, pushing it for the whole 50 hours, which Yikes. is, which is pretty nuts. And I did last year actually with, I did this soap again and I did, uh, 30 hours straight and I think like around around hour like 24 I was getting delirious and like hallucinating and it was just like it was crazy yeah yeah I don't I I don't think there's anything that I love enough to be like yeah I'll do this for 30 hours straight yeah like yeah it's it was it it, it, that seems just so crazy to me yeah it is very nuts <laughs> like and i don't know why i just wanted to push myself and challenge myself to do do it in a different way um and they're very supportive in that group um they've been doing this for a very long time uh, i think this is their uh 16th uh sopathon coming up and it's just it is a very wild and crazy uh show format that they do a theme so i think this last year was uh uh, a theme on Big Little Lies, um, the show. So, like, and doing that and carrying it over for a fifty-hour-long show is pretty nuts, right? So, is there anything that uh, doing improv for thirty hours taught you? Uh, listening was a big thing. Uh, listening, mm. uh, you know, maybe your if your mouth can't work, or, you know, at least hopefully you can listen and understand where where the direction is going, and also to react. Um, doing it for 30 hours, you know, you do get different bolts of energy that kind of comes in and out, uh, when you're on, when you're on stage after, from a laugh or reaction. So a big thing is also trusting the performers that you're with during the 30 hours, 
knowing that they will support you as well. And it's a very supportive group where we're all in this for a very long time. So let's try to keep everybody up. So even if it's just a reaction to uh, an offer, you say either a happy one or a sad one, and it kind of gives you a little bit of energy to kind of, to kind of continue on. Tell me about story, not sorry. Uh, so yeah, so sorry, not sorry is a, uh, improv company that, uh, I currently perform with, uh, I've been doing it with them for the last, I think three years. Uh, they started off, uh, with a Dungeons and Dragons format that they called YEG, which is our flight code, uh, YEG D and D. And, uh, they have now produced, uh, more shows within the company. So they do a. Uh, a wrestling format and uh, different other formats as well. Um, but um, it's a, a very, a very fun company to be, a, be with and just the inspiration I get from them um, and the different characters that they choose a little bit more of a narrative formats that come through uh, on stage. They uh, are a very fun uh, group that uh, kind of goes into the fantastical realm a little bit. So. Yeah, so they, I've been performing with them for about three years and continue continue on uh, for the time being. Yeah, so they're a very, hmm. very fun group. Like, which, uh, I mean, you mentioned that, like, sorry, that they do uh, various, um, like, I'm going to say themed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah totally. like, do you have, a, like, a favorite, like, of those uh, theme shows? Yeah, so I, I haven't performed uh, Dungeons and Dragons format with them it just doesn't really inspire me too much which is weird because i like dynasty i don't know why it just uh, i never really played dungeon dragons growing up and and uh did, didn't really inspire me too much to kind of do it but the one of the themes that they did uh that i really do enjoy is uh the wrestling format that they do uh called the prairie improv federation and uh it's it's a lot of fun i play recently i've been playing this character uh called uh that the ref of the prairie improv federation so i actually am the ref of the improv matches but mm. it doesn't really matter what i i say and but i'm also a character inside of this world of wrestling of like a ref that is not getting paid the right amount is showing up late to things and just like different weird bits that i'm doing uh which is it's, it's really fun uh and that's the one one show that i really do enjoy doing it with uh sorry not sorry i haven't dived in too much of the other shows that they uh do just due to work and uh other commitments that i have with dang dumb or whatever but uh it's the one that I, if i do have the opportunity with i try to get to as much as possible nice. yeah um so how, like so where does dang dumb fit into this like where does dang dumb start out of yeah so dang dumb started right at the tail end of we were all finishing up university and kind of dropping out of the university improv group um you actually couldn't you actually could join the group even if you weren't a student at the university and like anybody can join it like it's it's just like a club but it's oh, that's also weird. like you all you have to do i think you pay an extra five dollars for non-student fees to be a part of the club but like it, it cost me 25 dollars all year to be a part of this club and you got workshops from everybody, uh, from rapid fire theater to out of town guests to 
uh, touring and going to, I went to Bellingham one year, Washington and, and performed at uh, Western Washington University for a year, uh, for a weekend, which was really fun. So a lot of good re- outreach, but Dang Dumb kind of started uh, when we were all finishing up there and we we're all like really getting into comedy and we're seeing like Marvin Berry killing it and we and uh, another group called the Debutantes, which you've probably heard of as well. Um, mm-hmm. starting and we were like let's start a sketch company and uh, sketch group and it was Michael and Kelly and uh, that kind of approached me and were like hey do you want to be a part of this group and write some write sketches and you know kind of be funny and I was like with you guys of course because we were so close at that time and we still are but uh, they they asked me I was like oh I'm getting included into a group you guys want me <laughs> this is are you sure? Uh, I'm not a very good writer, as you can see from my in-head 2049 sketch. But like, <laughs> sure, I'll, I'll love to. And, uh, and that was, I, I'd say that was about three years ago that we did that, which was. And and all the members of Dang Dumb had come out of that, that university improv. Yeah, totally. Club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's how we, uh, that's how we met, at least, right? That's how we first all met each other and um became friends through that group and then from friends now uh uh sketch sketch buddies right so for you as someone who had never really done sketch before what is your process of create like i mean even not with this you know the sketch that we read notwithstanding but like as a group what's the process of creating a sketch show for you guys uh creating a sketch so for us it's we like when it comes to creating a sketch uh, or at least that first one. Yeah. So for us, uh, just comes down to a premise, like what kind of premise that we really want to do. So like, uh, uh, or like what premise do you think is very funny and has legs and we can riff on it and kind of expand on it a lot. Uh, that's how we kind of go with, uh, writing our sketches, which is a big thing. And then when it comes to writing our shows, it's just kind of like, what is, stage ready and what can we kind of know that are know that's funny that we performed in a lot of underground uh not underground but a little bit lower uh audience filled shows that we can kind of riff and see how it works and see if it has legs and kind of tweak things and stuff like that and then from there we kind of add it into our own our own hour-long show at the grindstone um so when was the first show that Tang Dum did for as sketch? Ooh, when was that? Uh, our first show was at Odd Wednesday for sure. Um, that we were just guests on. Odd Wednesday is a um, a show put on by the debutantes here in Edmonton, another sketch group um, that they do every Odd Wednesday at, at this theater called the Sewing Machine. Uh, that is mm-hmm. in a in a basement in a cafe, and it's very cool and it's very open for all types of performing arts, which is really good. And we performed there for a while, just I'd say like a full year, uh, almost eight months, just like working out the premises that we did and on the the sketches that we written, which we can tweak. And then from there, uh, we moved to the grindstone. I think the grindstone was about two. Two years ago was our first show at the Grindstone. Was it a bit of a shock to go from like this the shorter sets, like being part of a compilation show like Odd Wednesday is, to 
doing an hour of your like a full hour just on your own i'd say it was definitely nervous nerve-wracking you know you have all these lines you have to memorize but when it came to performing on stage in front of a bigger crowd uh, a lot of us came from improv or all of us mm -hmm. all of us came from improv so we performed in front of a large uh, in front of people um multiple times and some of them still like some of them at, with rapid fire were performing it uh in bigger audiences than we were doing at the grindstone so the idea that we weren't really nervous about I, I might be speaking uh what i don't really know what the other people were thinking but a lot of us came from improv so that it it helped us get over the stage fright of being in front of people but i think all, a lot of us were obviously nervous about uh you know do we have all our lines memorized do we know our stage directions like a little bit more of the nitty-gritty of what what it's like to you know perform on stage with lines and scripts and stuff like that so right there's that i mean you can be comfortable on stage from being an improviser for you know for so long previously yeah. but you know there are details within a sketch show that improv doesn't care about yeah totally that you have to like overcome and make sure that those things yeah. are addressed. Totally. Um, yeah. Were there any mishaps in that big, that first big show? Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> um, uh, in our first show we did, maybe that was French, but our first show there was, you know, the, you know, the, the obvious, you know, you, you skip line or whatever, or, you know, jumping around, but uh, nothing that stood off. That was like, oh shit, we completely forgot this joke. Um, it was, it was, it was. Wasn't until like later that we kind of got a little bit more comfortable on stage and in performing at the Grindstone uh, that we actually forgot or like messed up a line because you know your nerves are a little bit less damp, uh, a little bit less and a little bit dampened, and, and then you forgot a key joke or something like that, a key bit or the punchline of a sketch, and. Uh, kind of went from there really right so yeah 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 i i think that's fair to say because I, I i feel like some of the shows where i have felt less nervous beforehand um i've screwed up more yeah totally, totally. um yeah i wonder if that's universal yeah and i, I, I wonder yeah definitely i would imagine it is because you know you're a little bit uh, the nerves are a little bit less gone and you're a little bit more relaxed but you know you could get almost too much too relaxed and completely your brain kind of shuts off for a little bit and you forget kind of what to say uh last year this is kind of a funny story last year or at the beginning of this year beginning of this year we did a uh, the debutantes put on a sketch remix show so we actually got to perform sketches written by other uh sketch groups in this in the city mm. so like girl brain uh, did Paul Blinoff's uh, sketches, which I don't know if you uh, know Paul Blinoff. He's great. Um, mm. And then we did debutantes, and then did debutantes did us. Um, and it's it's funny performing a sketch that you are not tied to at all. That you're not really you're doing a sketch that somebody else wrote, and it's not in your voice. It's not in your uh, kind of style of writing or whatever but you're doing it and you do it once and then you're done we did that at the beginning of the year and i forgot every single one of my lines 
and we we ended up being a joke that I cannot remember my lines, and I just kept on moving my legs to buy time to see if my brain would kick back in to um, to remember the lines, and it never never worked out. So that was a uh, very funny situation, and kind of ties to the idea of like uh, when you're more relaxed, like you do forget things, right? The show there was very low stakes. We aren't tied to the sketches and, and, uh, we, uh, and I end up forgetting all my lines because I don't know, I was way more relaxed at the, at the at, during it. Right. So, which is very funny. And I, and I imagine that that show is all in the spirit of fun and everything, yeah. but how did, like, how do the debutantes react to, Oh, they were, la- they were laughing. Cause like I, cause it was also Oscar Wilde sketch on his last words. And so it was very, very uh, high status and very particular. And then I'm on stage being myself as Oscar Wilde, forgetting all my lines. And uh, where my other my other castmates are feeding me lines and I'm still just drawing a blank. And then there's a couple instances where I remembered it and I kind of perked up and I'd say it. And they're all laughing their ass off because I forgot every one of like every one of my lines and. Uh, the girl brain actually last last week they kind of did a kind of birthday celebration. Everyone wanted to say uh, Debbie Johnson wanted everybody to say their favorite odd Wednesday moments, and girl brain actually said that moment was one of their funniest moments. Was when I forgot all my lines <laughs> during yeah. during this during the sketch because it was also it came off as still funny and and uh, uh, and wit and just like crazy and stupid, right? So it was it was awesome. You had mentioned um, the challenge of performing, you know, w- within the sketch remix context, like performing a sketch that isn't necessarily within your style. Yeah. So what would you say is the dang dumb style of sketch comedy? Absurd. Definitely absurd. So taking an idea or a premise and just cranking it up to like the absurdity to it. Um, we also do a lot of self-deprecating, uh, not, not self-deprecating, but we write a lot of sketches uh where we are actually the cat we are actually the characters in sketch so we all have our own voice so like Mm -hmm. i'm dylan in the sketch and uh kelly is kelly in the sketch and different uh different characters are in the sketch but like taking an idea like that where dang dumb goes and robs a bank and um and the the sketches that we kind of write about ourselves on stage definitely land the, the best but also taking a premise of like the titanic and what would the titanic gift shop look like if, when the titanic's going down right so the idea of like just absurd situations kind of uh, uh happening in, in in unlikely places right so i'd say that's one of our styles for sure but uh it's it's kind of hard to place an actual uh name on it really right so mm. now i'm wondering if there would have been a souvenir shop on the titanic yeah. and what those souvenirs would look yeah, like yeah exactly so like <laughs> what would a titanic gift shop look like when it's going down uh like people still coming in or a family going in and then people running in asking for life jackets like no we're sold out or someone looking for a little knickknack before they get off the boat uh uh, yeah, a little Titanic snow globe. Yeah, exactly. Or like 
one of the funny bits was uh, someone picked up a Titanic like replica and then dropped it on the floor and breaks in two. And it's just like, yeah, this, this, this is what would happen in this world. Right. So, yeah, we definitely go on. A lot of our styles do definitely go on. If this is true, what else is true idea. So in the world of what's happening, if this is true, what else is going to be true? Like with the Titanic or uh, we have a couple other ones as well. So, um, but just for, um, a little bit more ease of uh, relaying a premise. That's definitely what we kind of go in off of. Is just if this is true, what else is true? So now that Dangdom has gotten to a groove over the last couple of years, like what is the process of how you all write the next show? Like, is it new material every time that you perform in Edmonton, or how does it work for you guys? So. Uh, the process we are doing recently uh, is obviously no shows are in our future right now, but um, the way we did it, like at least in the last year was okay. Um, depending on what the, sh- what the show is. So if it's fringe, we wanted to do our kind of bang, like our bangers from the last year, our top sketches from last year. So like, cause we knew we were getting a lot, going to get a lot of people in here. We want them to know, uh, that we are relatively funny. We are funny and we uh, would like to kind of show you guys kind of our best sketches from the year. And same in Toronto, when we went to Toronto sketch fest, we wanted to kind of do our best sketches and show a different side of uh, the country kind of dag Dung's brand and kind of what we like to go on. Right. So, uh, but like in the future, uh, what we're going to try to do is come up with a theme that we want to, call uh want the show to be about and then write sketches based off a theme so uh, either it's fear so okay if uh if fear is the the theme okay fearful um enemies um and the color yellow because yellow kind of symbolizes fear and kind of going in that so we're kind of going in that more more of that direction as of now it's just like building a show based off a theme and which sketches that we can pull from because we also in total, we have about 175, 180 sketches in our bank, um, in our database that we can kind of pull from. So uh, thinking of ideas from those and like, okay, this one would work. Let's change this a little bit to kind of work with the theme and then kind of go from there. You mentioned um, going to Toronto Sketchfest, you know, last month or two months ago or however long ago it was now. Um, and from what I understand, that was your first traveling uh festival yeah yeah how did it go for you guys it was incredible man um given that we were actually there the weekend before everything got shut down uh it was still an incredible experience um being in toronto having a lot of uh toronto comedy uh stars and toronto toronto comedy people in the community coming to our show and enjoying it was fantastic and performing in front of a different stop, a different side of uh, the country where maybe the humor is a little bit different. Cause I, I would imagine shows in Portland react differently than in Texas really. Right. So, um, or Philly compared to, I don't know, Nebraska or something like that. Right. So like going to yeah, different, did you notice certain, did you notice certain jokes landing differently in we actually, Toronto versus Edmonton? Yeah. We, uh, yeah. Um, so uh, in one of our sketches, um, 
it's very uh, Western oil field centric. So this guy uh, wants to work in the oil field and not be an actor or an artist like his parents want him to. So he really wants to work in the oil field, which is very funny, uh, that idea. So, But a couple of the lines were references to chains and things that happen in Western Canada. But in Eastern Canada, it never, never really landed. So we actually had to change it one of the days and ask a couple people, what are some, where would you go or watch UFC in, in Toronto? And everyone had said a completely different chain than, or a different place than what we would say in uh, Western Canada. So we mm. actually changed a little bit throughout it, but it was uh, still the general idea is like, we're from Edmonton. We want to promote, like, these are jokes that, land in Edmonton, but let's see how they land in Toronto. And they actually did. And it was quite, uh, uh, quite rewarding and definitely, a, a one of the, the top moments of this year for sure. And even last year, if you want to include it in that. So yeah, it was, it was amazing. Yeah. The, the idea of like when you write a sketch and almost like putting an asterisk to a joke, like yeah. don't forget to switch the local reference. If you go somewhere else, like, yeah, totally. Totally. Um, Where, like, if we went, if we if we ever performed in Philly or in other parts of the the states, you know, we'd actually probably have to ask a couple people, you know, like, what are some references? Where would you go and watch UFC? Uh, what what are some places? Uh, Dave and Buster's, great. Okay, we change it to Dave and Buster's <laughs> or something like that, right? So, kind of going in there, right? I, I think I think if you ask that question to most of the comedians here in Philadelphia, it'd be like. Ooh, why would we yeah exactly like that wouldn't yeah. be <laughs> and that's what we got in toronto too like we got so many people like uh i don't know i've never gone and watched UFC. <laughs> uh so i guess you could say this and then like we we said it and they, it actually landed pretty hard in toronto yeah so yeah this reference might work yeah. i don't know yeah. like... but like trusting them and kind of going in with them was very fun yeah, so. yeah, I think um, yeah, when Marvin Berry was here a couple years ago for Philly Sketch yeah. Fest, they asked me what the douchiest radio station would was. <laughs> and I was just like, I don't know. I wouldn't listen to the douchiest radio station. Yeah. Like, that's. <laughs> yeah. So we had to like outsource that again to other people to see what they yeah. thought. It's funny. I know what sketch they're talking about too when they ask for the <laughs> douchiest radio. Like, I'm, I'm yep. picturing the sketch in my mind them on stage performing it which is very funny uh but did what did they end up using i i don't remember oh, okay, yeah. i i i think i just passed them off to someone else because i i listen to public radio for the most part yeah yeah okay. so yeah that's uh, <laughs> that's uh that's funny yeah um so then all right uh the makeup of of um dang dumb mm-hmm as far as I know, is 50-50 male-female yeah. and 50-50 uh, well, 50, that, that's a weird way of saying it because um, it lumped everyone together, but like there's a, a mix of diversity yeah. Yeah. on Dang Dumb. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. How um, does the work reflect that? Uh, very much so, actually. Um, uh, there's a lot of sketches that um, um, are diverse, like our diverse cast tend to um, not tend to go to, but they uh, are 
um, writing because, you know, taking the satirical element of um, a specific idea. So we actually have one of my favorite sketches is just because uh, that we perform is uh, uh, rechanging the Washington football team uh, for the NFL. So changing it mm-hmm. from the current name to the Rednecks um, is one of our sketches. And Kelly actually wrote that being, uh, uh, an indigenous, an indigenous person. She, uh, she wrote it and, uh, um, it's, it's a very satirical aspect of it and taking an idea, um, and making it satirical to kind of bring light to it, but also bring, uh, kind of make it as like, if this is true, why isn't this true as well? Um, yeah. Uh, why can't we also change it to this, right? So um, there is definitely some sketches that uh, people write um, because of because of that, and and it's, and it's great. Kind of show the diversity. Yeah. Um, so, like, as we record this, live theater is pretty much shut down. Um, yeah. A lot of a lot of things are moving online, or at least trying to move online. That's just to either keep the muscles flowing, keep yeah. the keep I, I hate the word content i'm not like keep the material flowing yeah. and everything does uh dang dumb have any plans for this uh digital intermission as i'll call yeah, it yeah so uh right now we're actually working on doing an ideal of a uh, table read and doing it on zoom um so uh we actually we recorded one last week but we're still just kind of we're taking ideas so like we have a week to write a sketch and um, taking that table read and then p- putting it on Zoom uh, and then recording it and then hopefully putting it online. Uh, so we did one last week and we're doing one again this week, uh, but we're actually partnering up. So me and Michael are partnering up to write a sketch and then we'll do a table read to um, the rest of the the rest of the cast on Zoom and uh, and and doing that. And if this goes well, we'll probably do it from now on uh, till everything kind of gets back to normal kind of performing sketches that we've written over the last week uh, in front of a, and putting them online in front of uh, audiences that want to watch. Right. So, yeah, so that's kind of what we're doing. It's going well. Like I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. I definitely, uh, we, the Joe, the, there's definitely a lot of variety and, and also a lot of symmetry through it so like because we were six deep right six six seven deep right now in our group um we you know there's enough people to show enough variety to it but then you also have some similarities where this one's also three pages this one's also three pages they're taking this idea the same way as this person uh but it is still different uh in that aspect so it's actually going really well and at least i'm enjoying it uh but we haven't put anything online yet. We kind of want to see how it shapes up and how we can tweak and mm. change formats, just like you would do kind of rehearsal before any show. This kind of our we're rehearsing these table reads um, and then going to change it and kind of go from there. Uh, have you have any of you had any like issues with the writer's block in the quarantine? Cause I know some people like their creative juice has just stopped. Yeah. Like, um, like has that been an issue for you guys yet um not really actually um kelly's getting a lot done uh michael still is getting a lot done there there are two uh big writers and jordan also is uh, getting a lot done too um jordan um 
uh, actually it's the exact opposite for Jordan right now. He's getting a lot done where he's pretty busy with school and, and work and stuff like that. And now that school's done and works kind of, mm. uh, at a standstill, he's actually doing a lot more writing, which is fantastic for me. I am getting the premises down. Like I'm thinking of good premises, but finishing the sketch has been a struggle for me and like getting it going just because just my creative juices of that has mm. been kind of, uh, been kind of shot right now. So, uh, whenever I talk to Canadians, I'm always curious. I want to know, and there, there's been pieces of Canadian pop culture that have come down to America. Is there something that is, you know, we've had Shit's Creek come down. We've had uh, Trailer Park Boys. <laughs> there's a there's a bunch of things that have hit Netflix that are you know CBC based. Um, is there something that's distinctly Canadian that an American might not know about that we should seek out? Um, in a new in a new format or an old format? Uh, I'll, I'll, you know, whatever. Anything Canadian, really. Uh, well, there's the classic, you know, Dave Thomas, Rick Moranis, Strange Brew. Sure. Like, that's one of the most, I remember watching that in a very uniquely Canadian um, show. Um, and then there's, uh, you know, and then there's also, you know, Shit's Creek was huge um, for showing what Canadian comedy can do. Another one uh, that... Uh, I really do enjoy is uh, um, Frick I Love Nature. Um, a friend of mine, Gordy, has been kind of uh, putting that on, and it's on YouTube right now. But taking a, uh, a nature show and making it almost like quirky and funny and making it presentable in front of it instead of like having like the David Attenborough kind of long narration of like this mm-hmm. majestical uh flamingo and stuff like that but also taking it in a cool way of presenting a nature show in a in a funny format is uh one that i think a lot of people should take take a listen and take a watch uh kind of kind of um see what see what you think and i think that's going to be it was already on cbc um on their cbc gem uh show but uh gordy that one of the guys that started with steve robinson he they really got a good idea and i just really hope it kind of continues on from there and uh since this is a sketch comedy podcast and the biggest most successful sketch comedy show of history is SNL live i ask uh who's your favorite snl cast member all time oh man that's a tough one uh bill Hader, for sure is up there um on there, Bill Murray as well is definitely so Bills. It looks like just, just going <laughs> to pick Bills from now on. Um, those are definitely up there. Um, I think one one of the guys that I definitely think I enjoy the most of um, uh, would be Chris Farley, just for his big energy. Um, yeah, because even when I do improv, I'm definitely the biggest energetic person on stage, and will just use that just to kind of pump some life into even if the sketch is dying or a, a show is dying um definitely a bit big that big energy but uh one of the kind of in a different format a different show that i really grew up enjoying and a lot of my comedy is based off of is is jim carrey 
uh, Jim mm. Carrey, hands down, is uh, one of my idols, and uh, I definitely do appreciate uh, what he's done and uh, and the style he and the way he takes a lot of things, uh, and it shows a lot in my comedy and a lot of my just demeanor is very much a Jim Carrey esque uh, way. So like Jim Carrey in for In Living Color is one of my favorite uh, characters, like cast members yeah. that uh, that I've had. Yeah, it's weird when he came out and said that he had auditioned for SNL like early 80s and got canceled, yeah. like didn't get it. Yeah. But then again, it, those were like the, the awful seasons. Yeah. Like where Eddie Murphy was the only saving grace yeah. at the time. Yeah. And it would been weird to see what would have happened if Jim Carrey actually had gone on to that, those and, rough seasons. And where his career would have changed too, right? Like, Oh, for sure. Like, like getting in living color, like going into in living color, but then also like, um, like would he have done the mask and Ace Ventura and Dumb and Dumber? Like if he wasn't, uh, if he was on SNL, right? Like, yeah, but like his career could have been either started so quickly or just completely dead. Because like, I mean, I'm an SNL nerd, so I can name all that, like all those casts. But like, none of like other than Eddie Murphy, none of them became massive stars. Like, and Eddie Murphy got there's and Eddie Murphy got fired, didn't he? No, he. I think with one of his movies, he had to be like, I I'm going to do this movie, so I'll, I'm I'm piecing. Like, oh, really? Yeah, I think like one of them, one of them needed too much time from him, so he couldn't come back to the show or something like that. But like, like a lot of those people are like working actors that you that you would recognize from stuff, yeah. but none of them are the superstar that Jim Carrey Jim Carrey became. Yeah, totally. Ten, fifteen years later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, as we wind down, yeah. Uh, same two questions. Get a little deeper. A little more. The- philosophical at the end yeah, here Jesus. uh what's something that you've learned from comedy that you would pass on to a new writer uh uh comedy in general or sketch comedy oh we can do comedy in general uh failure is funny it's one of the things that uh uh i kind of strive to on stage is that if you mess up on stage you can also take it in a funny way and 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 can be funny at the end of it where uh, even if you're failing on stage uh, in a sketch, your character is failing. It can be brought into in a, in a funny way. Right. So maybe you like, for example, the Saturday night live Adam Sandler reunion, like having somebody come out there with a shitty uh, impression that is funny. Right. And I think that in comedy and in sometimes in life, you know, um, you can take, failure and, and make bring some levity and some bring some light into it so that's definitely one of the things that i enjoy uh, uh in my life and then finally uh i mean starting with doing improv in university and then you know moving out to dang dumb and soaring not sorry and stuff so why is comedy taking over your life like why is comedy such a big part of your existence now it brings it brings it makes me feel happy. I guess the, it's the biggest thing. Like, um, you know, I was, I was a jock in high school and wasn't really, uh, uh, didn't really, wasn't really happy doing those things, uh, so to speak. And then finding comedy and actually 
wanting to be there all the time and not missing anything um, and looking forward to like a sketch rehearsal or or that I'm doing we're doing now with Ding Dum like like actually enjoying those things and um, it's just it's really bring uh, new light into my into my life and um, I, that's that's why uh, yeah 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 I don't I can't I can't I can't imagine myself doing any other hobby uh, and any other passion um, definitely you know people play basketball and play hockey and Canada, like a lot of people play hockey in Canada and, and you know uh, what are your extra what do you do outside of work and this is what I do outside of work this is what I this is what I love doing that's what I enjoy doing do I want to get paid for it sure but do I care not really because I know I am enjoying uh, every every aspect of it if it's for free or or for for paid right so yeah I had like back when I first you know, in the first few episodes of this, like maybe in the first 20, one of my guests, like, like bristled at the idea of comedy being a hobby yeah. for people. Yeah. And I was just like, so many people are, are more defined by their hobbies than they are by their like work. Yeah, totally. And, and they, and they want to be defined by their hobbies yeah. compared to what they do. Yeah. Nine to five. And that's like, that's a hundred percent true. I, uh, so I actually work for Molson Coors uh, here in Canada, uh, which is in the States is used to be called Miller Coors. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm a sales rep for them. And I, when I asked my boss, um, like, just like, you know, you're doing a coaching day and he's out on the road with you and, and the, you know, you're just chit-chatting back and forth. And I asked him, I was like, why'd you hire me? Like, just like straight up blind about it. He's like, I was like, it wasn't, it w- was it because of my school? He's like, no. Was it because uh, of uh, my interview? He's like, yeah, sure. I was like, what was it? He's like, you do improv. You do comedy. You're not afraid to be in front of people. You're not afraid to uh, dive into new situations. And having that, my hobby gave me the career and the job that I I wanted, right? Um, Hmm. The hobby helped define me and helped me grow, I guess you can say. So I think like your hobbies uh identify with you and also help you grow at the end of it right so so yeah yeah it's very interesting um kind of what my boss said and and uh, you know i that's why i don't ever want to stop it this has got me the job that i i want and and uh and got me places so i want um i have no regrets and i'm glad that it it is one of my hobbies and one of the things that i enjoy doing nice yeah Thanks, Dylan. Yeah, no problem. Dylan Sharp is a member of Dang Dumb out of Edmonton. You can like Dang Dumb on Facebook at facebook.com slash dangdumb and follow them on Instagram at dangdumbcomedy. And I mentioned it up top. I'll mention it again. The next Sketchy Bader, our online sketch comedy open mic, will take place on Friday, June 26th at 10 p.m. Eastern. All of the information can be found at myfirstsketch.com, phillysketchfest.com, and there will be a Facebook event page floating around as well. If you haven't joined us before, you've missed out on sketches about Jurassic Park, Garth Brooks, Neddy Potts, and Rockstar Heaven. And that's just to name a few. 
My First Sketch is a Philly Sketch Fest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com. Follow Philly Sketch Fest on Instagram at phillysketchfest. The music on this episode is by the band Nono, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. Like My First Sketch on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening.